Father, thank you for your anointing on the word. Your anointing releases power and your presence. And we thank you for that as the word is shared today. In Jesus' name, amen. The title of the message this morning is Christmas, the amazing plan and purpose of God. And I don't use those words to try and make it wow, because it is so wow that those words cannot even contain it adequately. The amazing plan and purpose of Christmas. Now, in a nutshell, what is Christmas? What is Christmas? On the next slide, it is the celebration of that moment when God came down to earth in the form of a baby. Simple. Why did he come? He came to reveal his love for mankind by dying on a cross to pay the penalty for our sins. That is the reason why he came. And thirdly, what is the outcome? We can now have relationship with the Father. You only come to the Father through Jesus. We can have relationship with the Father and we can share in everlasting life. So if somebody asks you what is Christmas all about, that is what it is about in a nutshell. John 3 verse 16 in the King James Version says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever, you are a whosoever, <laughs> that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. And that is a scripture that puts Christmas in a nutshell, if I can put it that way. I was chatting to one of our pastors, Bruce, and he said he was reading, uh, reading up about Christmas in preparation for this time, and as he was preparing his own heart, and he said that he came across the following, the message of Christmas is essentially the message of salvation. Would you agree with that? It's really the message of salvation. Now, I have four points that I'd like to share with you this morning. And uh, as I share, with, share them with you, please look out for the word body. Would you please say that word, body? Look out for the word body because it does appear here and there and forms a theme throughout the message. Point number one of four points. Number one, the story of Christmas is good news for everybody, so let your heart rejoice today. Let your heart rejoice. I believe it's possible to go through a whole special Christmas day and you actually forget to smile. <laughs> you actually forget to be happy. You are so fussing about the meal and the presents and the family coming over and how am I going to get along with cousin Joey and all of this and that you actually forget to rejoice. Come on, people of God, can we just rejoice? Can we be happy? Can we delight ourselves in the Lord? Yeah, put your hands together. Rejoice, child of God. Rejoice. Luke 2, verse 8 to 11 says, Now there were in the same 
Now they were in the same country, shepherds living out in the fields, keeping watch over their flock by night. And behold, an angel of the Lord stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them. Can you imagine this moment? And they were greatly afraid. Then the angel said to them, do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy. Those words in bold, please say that with me. I bring you good tidings of great joy. It's rejoicing time, which will be to all people. For there is born to you and to us. There is born to you this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. What a wonderful moment it must have been, folks, to be those shepherds out in the fields, just doing their regular activities, and here they experience this incredible moment of the angel appearing, the glory of God, and being told, listen, there is tremendously good news. What a moment. I wish we could see that. I wish we could see that on video (laughs) to see how it was, but it was wonderful. Luke 2, verse 11, the same part, um, but in the message says this, don't be afraid, I'm here to announce a great and joyful event that is meant for everybody worldwide. The unsaved family and friends that you may have, it's meant for them too. That person at work that you work with that you think could never come to Christ, I want to tell you it's good news for everybody, for all are included in this. And so here, the greatest event in history up until that point had just happened. What was it? The Messiah had been born. Can you say hallelujah? The Messiah had been born. The Savior had been born. And so the angels declared, this is marvelous. And I want to ask you today, do you still see this story as marvelous? Do you still see the fact that Jesus came to the earth in a human body? Do you see it as marvelous? Because it should produce tremendous joy in our lives. And I want to say to you today, no matter what circumstances you are facing today, this is incredibly good news. You might say, John, you don't know what I'm going through. Rightly so, I don't know what you're going through. You might be singing that song, nobody knows the trouble I've seen, nobody knows but Jesus. And you might be at this point in your life in a really low point, but I want to say to you that this is incredibly good news, a Savior born to you. And I actually want to encourage you, child of God, would you meditate on this news? I pray that the Holy Spirit reminds you. Maybe you've got one or two quieter moments during the day. Meditate on this. It's an excellent choice. Whatever is good and lovely and praiseworthy, think on these things. And the fact that we have a Savior and we meditate on the Savior and this joyous news is an excellent choice. And so I want to encourage you today. Don't be so consumed by your circumstances that you might be struggling with right now. Rather look at the bigger picture of God's salvation in your life, 
of God's plan of deliverance for you. We have to make a choice in that regard. It doesn't just happen. You can choose where you're going to spend your focus or put your mind on. And I want to encourage you to focus on a Savior born to you. 2 Corinthians 4 verse 17, it's on your screen. It says, for our light affliction, affliction, which is but for a moment, is working for us a far more exceeding and an eternal weight of glory. Can you see that even Scripture says that the things that we go through, which in a human sense are very tough, that God says, listen, by comparison, this is light affliction because there is a weight of glory that is prepared for you and I. So I say to you, people of God, rejoice today. Now, just something interesting. I find it interesting that the first indication of Jesus' birth is not given to the religious leaders in Jerusalem. It's given to lowly shepherds out in the countryside. Don't you like that? And what does this tell us? This tells us that God reveals himself to humble people. God reveals himself to ordinary people. How many of you can say, I'm just an ordinary person? Well, let me tell you, God reveals himself to ordinary people. And now, just like the shepherds experienced tremendous joy on that day, I want to say, let us experience joy today. We rebuke the spirit of heaviness in Jesus' name, and we receive the joy of the Lord. Can you say amen? Why don't you tell the person next to you, tell them this, rejoice, you have a Savior. Tell them that. Rejoice, you have a Savior. Now, number two, point number two, Jesus needed a physical body to fulfill the Father's purpose on earth. Can I ask that you all say that out aloud with me? Jesus needed a physical body to fulfill the Father's purpose on earth. This is a very important point. Muy importante. I want to spend just a little bit more time on this point but the, because there's something really that we need to see here. So allow me to explain a little bit and share with you so that we together can appreciate the wisdom of God's plan and also the integrity or the holiness of God's plan. In Genesis 1, verse 26, reads as follows, Then God said, Let us make man in our image, according to our likeness. Let them have dominion. Please say the word dominion. Let them have dominion over the earth. Yes, it mentions the flying birds and the, and the fish in the sea and the crawling creatures and the beasts and so on. But essentially, dominion is being given to the people of God. So it says, let them have dominion over the earth. Now, I want to say this. Listen carefully. When God declares something, that is his word. Do you realize that? When he declares something that's his word and it stands forever, 
You and I, we might say something, hey, I'll pop around on Wednesday. Meanwhile, you don't mean that, and you say, oh, I'm going to give you a, a teddy bear for Christmas, and you forget, and you, and you give a yo-yo or something like that. God is not like that. When God declares something, His Word stands, and His Word stands forever. God doesn't ever speak carelessly. He doesn't ever speak frivolously. But let me tell you, the maker of heaven and earth, he speaks with great intentionality and he speaks with great purpose because he knows what he wants to accomplish. And he will only speak the things that he purposes in his heart to accomplish. And so when God said, let them have dominion over the earth, God became bound to his words. Think about that. He said, let them have dominion over the earth, and now God's word was set. It was out there. He stuck, in a sense. He is bound to his word. He has to keep to his word. And so when he said that, what was happening? God was establishing mankind as the legal authority on earth. Why? Because God said so. And so there, the mankind was on earth, Adam and Eve, and they were established. They were the authority on the earth. And God, as it were, he took himself out of the situation on earth and he placed man in charge of the earth. And therefore, if anyone wanted to function and live on the earth legally, they would have to be in a physical body. Stick with me, you're going to see where I'm getting. Because only spirits with bodies can live on the earth Legally, Can you say amen to that? The spirit in a body is on the earth legally. And when you are on the earth legally, then you have authority. And so here, God established mankind as the legal authority. But what happened next? Sadly, man gave up his authority to the enemy. It was very sad. When Adam and Eve sinned, they surrendered the authority to the enemy of their souls. Satan actually tricked them out of the authority, but nevertheless, it was gone, and it was one of the saddest days of all time. And when that happened, I would submit to you that God was thinking, I'm going to get into a body. <laughs> God was thinking, I've got to get into a body. God was thinking in his mind, he was thinking about the incarnation. None of this caught him by surprise. His plan was ready. How can I say that? Because the Lamb of God was slain before the foundation of the earth. None of this took God by surprise. He was completely ready for any eventuality. And so here, God then did the following. He made a promise, hallelujah. He made a promise that he would intervene and he would restore authority to his people. Can anybody get a little bit excited about this? God made a promise he would intervene and he would restore his people and restore authority. And in Genesis 3, God made a promise. And in effect, what was God saying? God was saying, Christmas is coming. In Genesis 3, you never thought there was a Christmas story in Genesis 3. Well, there is. <laughs> in Genesis 3, Jesus, God was saying, Christmas is coming. He was actually talking to Satan. He was talking to the serpent, and he was saying, Christmas is coming, Satan. And we pick it up in Genesis 3, verse 15. 
where God said to the serpent, I will put enmity between you and the woman, between your offspring and hers, and here it comes. He, that is the offspring, and that refers to Jesus. He will crush your head, and you will strike his heel. Yes, the enemy did strike his heel. But God was making a promise way back in Genesis 3 verse 15. He was saying, Christmas is coming. And he was saying, Satan, I am going to crush your head. It's the awesome plan that the Father has. Can somebody say amen? Amen. And so what was God effectively saying? He's saying, I'm going to come in a physical body, legally, because I come in in a legal sense. I'm coming in a physical body, I'm coming legally, and I'm gonna crush your head, Satan, and I'm gonna take back that authority that you stole from my people. I'm taking that back, and I'm giving it rightfully to them, and authority will be restored. And that is why Jesus, after he was raised from the dead, could say the following, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go therefore and make disciples. All authority in heaven. I never lost my authority in heaven. I always had that. But the authority on earth was out of order. But I'm setting things right and I'm putting the authority back in place. It's been given to me. And now I say to you, you go out in this authority that I have for you. And that's why when you and I go and establish the kingdom of God, We are establishing the authority of God wherever we go. It's wonderful. So do believers in Jesus Christ have authority? You bet your bottom dollar we do. And as we go about doing the work of the kingdom, expanding the kingdom of God, we are walking in authority. We're extending the authority of the kingdom of God. Come on, somebody give the Lord a hand of praise. Somebody say hallelujah. Wow. Praise God. Can you see the importance of why Jesus needed a body? Because God could not break into man's environment. God couldn't do that. He would not violate the realm of earth. He would do everything correctly because God simply cannot break his word. You know why? He's too holy to break his word. He's too faithful to break his word. And so he did everything in accordance with his word. Consider this. If God did not become a man, then you would have to die. But he did become a man, and he died in your place. Merry Christmas, everybody. Point number three. What was on Jesus' mind on the eve of Christmas? A body prepared for me is the answer. Interesting, as I was reading up about preparing for sharing the Christmas message, I was saying, Lord, just whatever, just give me something to say that is fresh. Choose Life is in its 13th Christmas service now, and I've preached about nine, nine or ten of those Christmas messages. <laughs> and I, I came across this, which was very interesting, but let me just ask you this. Have you ever wondered what was happening just before Jesus came into the earth? What was going on between the Father and the Son? What were they talking about? What was on their minds? Well, in Hebrews 10, we get a glimpse into what was happening. Hebrews 10 verse 5 and then verse 8 to 10 in the Good News Bible. Listen to this. It's on your screen. It says, for this reason, 
When Christ was about to come into the world, this is Christmas Eve, if I can put it that way. When Christ was about to come into the world, he said to God, you do not want sacrifices and offerings, but here we go. But you have prepared a body. Say the word body. You have prepared a body for me. For he said, that's Jesus, you neither want nor are pleased with sacrifices and offerings or with animals burnt on the altar and the sacrifices to take sins away. He said this even though all these sacrifices are according to the law. Verse 9, then he said, here's Jesus presenting himself to the Father. He says, here I am, God. You can send me. Here Jesus says, here I am, O God, to do your will. So God does away with all the old sacrifices and puts the sacrifice of Christ in their place. Verse 10 on the next screen, it says, Because Jesus Christ did what God wanted him to, we are all, look at that, purified from sin by the offering that he made of his own body once and for all. Let me tell you, those sacrifices of the Old Testament were right for the time under the Old Covenant, but they could only cover sin for a time until the ultimate sacrifice, Jesus Christ would come and he would deal with sin properly once and for all. So what was on Jesus' mind 2,000 years ago? Just before coming to earth, a body prepared for me. That's what was on his mind. Can you imagine Jesus in heaven and he's thinking, wow, I'm going to be taking on a body. And do you know that forever, if I understand it correctly, Jesus is confined to his glorious body. For there is one mediator between God and man. It is the man, Christ Jesus still sitting at the right hand of the Father. He loved you so much that he was willing to confine himself to a glorious body for all eternity. Don't tell me Jesus doesn't love you. I want to tell you, he loves you, he loves you, he loves you. Tell the person next to you, Jesus loves you. <laughs> and in John 1 verse 14, it says the following, and the word became, what's that word? Flesh, in other words, was given a body. And dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory. The glory is of the only begotten of the Father, and I love this, full of grace and truth. As Jesus is walking the earth, people are looking at him, and they've seen the glory of the Father, and they've seen grace and truth. The same thing should apply to you and I, that people should look in our lives, and they should see grace, and they should see truth. My final point, point number four, good news. The body of sin was done away with and we are no longer slaves to sin. Do you hear that? Do you realize that you don't need to go back to that old sin that you had in your old life because the power of sin is broken? You're no longer a slave to sin. Romans 6, verse 6 to 7, it says, knowing this, that our old man was crucified with him, that the, there's that word, the body of sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves of sin. 
For he who has died has been freed from sin. Now, if my understanding is correct, I could be wrong. But if my understanding is correct, then that phrase, the body of sin, refers both to Christ's body and also to our body. Because the sin element of the body was done away with. And so the outcome is that the governing power of sin, the controlling power of sin was taken away. Because do you know this? A dead body cannot sin. (laughs) Tell that to the person next, next to you. A dead body cannot sin. And you have died with Christ. That's what the scripture says. The last scripture we're going to look at as we are drawing to a close is same book, Romans chapter 6, now verse 11 and 12. It says, likewise, you also reckon yourselves to be dead indeed to sin. Can I ask you, do you think like that? Do you think and consider yourself, I'm dead to sin? The Bible encourages us because of what Jesus has done, rightfully so, that we can count ourselves dead to sin. Too many people live with a mindset that sin has some sort of a power over you. No, it does not. As a blood-washed child of God, it says, reckon yourselves to be dead indeed to sin, but alive to God. Praise the Lord. In Christ Jesus our Lord. Therefore, Do not let sin reign in your mortal body, that you should obey its lusts. And I want to encourage you, sir, ma'am, live with this mindset, I am dead to sin. You're coming into agreement with the Word of God, and as you come into agreement with the Word of God, power is released to live in that victory. As blood-washed Children of God, know this, that you are righteous. And listen to this. Sin has no legal grip over you. And so, folks, this is wonderfully good news. The chains of sin have been broken over your life. And so I want to say to you, over this December period, you do not need to turn to that bottle. You you say to yourself, I am dead to that bottle. I don't need to turn to it. You don't need to turn to those thoughts of harming yourself because you say, I am dead to that in Jesus' name. You don't need to turn to thoughts of lust because I am dead to that in Jesus' name. You don't need to look at images on the internet which are unwholesome because you are dead to that. And a dead body does not sin. Praise the Lord. And so you need to begin to see this and realize it. That you are no longer a slave to sin, but you are free. And so I want to encourage you, live as a free person as you go into this holiday, into this festive time. Live righteously. Present your body as a living sacrifice unto God. And I want to say the good news is that this Christmas time, you can live in complete victory. Can we give the Lord a hand of praise? Somebody say hallelujah. Praise the Lord. Now would you please stand with me. I feel it's only right that I just pray a prayer of salvation. Please don't anyone leave. We've kept the service nice and short. I'm not going to take long. But I want to invite you to pray a prayer of salvation, giving your life to Christ. For those of you that are completely certain of your salvation 
this is just an opportunity to just reaffirm your commitment to the Lord. But realize there could be a hundred people here today that are not sure. So I'm going to ask that you pray this prayer out aloud after me, phrase by phrase. Let's close our eyes. Pray this after me. Heavenly Father, I believe that Jesus, who was born in human flesh, is your son. And I believe that he died and rose again to redeem me. Therefore, I repent of my sins. And I place my faith in Christ alone. I surrender my heart to you, Lord. Be my Lord. Be my Savior. I pray this in Jesus' name. Now, I'm just going to pray for you. Father, we thank you that this has been a good time in your presence. We thank you for all that you have done for us. And we say glory to God in the highest. In Jesus' name. And we all said amen. Amen. God bless you, everybody.